Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. These dogs work really hard, but they love what they do. Levi is such a good boy. And trainer Courtney Moore is making sure he knows it. What they're doing is incredibly important and they have real potential to change outcomes for people in our community. No mai haerumai. Welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Clerk in Canada ho. This week, a trip to the K9 Medical Detection Charitable Trust at Ag Research in Invermay, where Courtney is training the dogs to do one thing: sniff out cancer. K9 Medical Detection is where Levi, Weta, Magic, Frida, and Puppy Ace go to work. And because it's their work environment where they need to focus, unfortunately, RNZ reporters can't wander in during the day to pet and cuddle them, much as I had hoped. So instead, I visited late one afternoon when the dogs had all gone to hydrotherapy. Part of the organized activities put on for them to ensure they are keeping healthy and have a good work-life balance. Director Pauline Blomfield met me to give me a tour and to explain how the dogs are being trained to detect prostate and bowel cancers. So this is uh, one training room one of the smaller training rooms and it's what we call our initial beginner stages with the imprinting boxes and they are literally boxes attached to the wall yes they are but each one has an electronic component to it so we can uh, reward the dog remotely so it is it's it's our baby steps very much when they're beginning to uh, recognise and be rewarded for the odour. It's also a time too when the dogs learn to work independently with no reliance whatsoever on the trainer. So these boxes will each get kitted out with a sample that either contains cancer cells or does not. That's right. And then the dog has to go from sniff, sniff each box, from box to box to box. Yes. And what you're saying is the electronic trigger, if they get it right, releases a treat. That's right. We reward them with what they like, which is nine times out of ten a toy. So oh. we find their special toy, the one that really makes them spin their wheels, and we keep that specially for this. A special toy. So, well, it's all about reward. I mean, people, when they go to work, they get paid. So yeah. we're doing exactly the same thing with our dogs. They work. They get paid for doing the work that we're asking of them. So it's really, it's organised play for okay. the dogs. They love it, absolutely love it, because they're, they're going there and they're searching until they find what we're, what we're looking for. Every day is a fun treasure hunt. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So this is where they learn that if you detect the cancer cells, you get your... You get your reward, yes, that's right. And then you also get a reward and you get a play with the trainer. So then we move into the large training room. 
And as you can see that there is totally different types of stands now. They're all stainless steel and um, the arms that go onto them each have a little plate and underneath that plate is where we put the samples for the dogs to detect. And it's the same process, so they'll go to each one, sniff each plate, and then if they recognise a scent, they get a reward. Yes, that's right. It's very, very important. We make sure that the work ethic of our dogs is critical because we can't have them missing a sample. So, uh, so we make sure that they do sniff each one and then they will tell us uh, because they have already been trained in the other room with the imprinting so they're recognising that odour and they will either sit or they'll just stand and stare at that particular sample and then they're released and they go back to the trainer and they get a reward. Party time. Yeah, but first they said this is the one yes. by standing or sitting or looking at it. Yeah. So at this stage, the, the trainer is behind the shield there, so the dog can't look back at the trainer to sort of ask, have I got it right? The dogs are working completely independently. Now, although the dogs were out when I visited for the tour, I came back for a quick visit to record some of the sound of the dogs with the help of Courtney and her assistant Tess who followed the dogs with a microphone for me. So here is the sound of Levi checking a series of six samples. The metal stands are out and inside them is saline with either normal human cells or saline with bowel cancer cells. It's fast, right? Happens real quick. You can just about hear Courtney say find at the start, and then he's off, squashing his nose against the metal plate of each sample before he freezes in front of one to indicate that he has detected the sample with cancer cells in it. Here it is again, with Courtney explaining the celebration. Got to be, it's got to be the best party, especially because it is so challenging. They're not easy odours, so we have to make it that it's a jackpot. Each time they find those cancer cells, that's um, the best thing in their world. Yeah. This ability to detect at such speed and with such selectivity is all due to the unique physiology underpinning a dog's sense of smell. Pauline explains. We can have uh, 20 samples out and the dog will check 20 samples within 23 seconds. They are just amazing uh, smelling machines. And really when you actually understand how a dog's nose works, you can sort of realise. I mean, when you compare, uh, dogs have on average 225 million scent receptors in their nose and humans have 5 million. Yeah, that's a big difference. It is, and I mean that the area in a dog's brain that's devoted to analysing smells is 40 times larger than that of a human. If you've got your pet dog who's going along, and like we have a dog at home, and she wants to sniff everything, is that how they kind of mostly see and experience yeah, the world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us humans, we will sort of view the world by our sight. With the dogs, they view the world by their olfactory system. 
So they're so, just set up for this. They're overloaded in terms of the yeah. sensing through their nose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's other little things. It's like for us humans, when we, when we breathe in, we smell and breathe through the same airways. But when a dog breathes in, there's a little tiny piece of tissue just inside their nostril. And what that means is that the incoming air splits into two pathways, and one is for olfaction and one is for respiration. So then when the dog breathes out, they actually breathe out through the slit in the side of their nose, so that outgoing air doesn't contaminate or dilute the incoming air. So everything about a dog's nose really is designed to give them a type of superpower. And, and we're just utilising that natural ability. Pauline is not the only one convinced by the smelling superpowers of dogs. One of the members of the canine medical detection team is Professor Sarah Young. Sarah is head of the medical school at the University of Sydney now, but four years ago, when Pauline approached her, she was head of School of Pathology in the University of Otago, a department doing a lot of work in cancer and diagnostic test research. It's quite amazing because, you know, I was very sceptical about the idea of a dog being able to detect cancer, right? So why would we use a dog when we've, you know, really would develop sort of sophisticated tests, but they've got an amazing nose. I mean, it's been quite phenomenal to see some of the results that we've got so far, to see that level of specificity that they can get. And we've also, we're in conversations with other places around the world, and there's one recent one we had a conversation around, um, you know, dogs obviously detecting covid and again, there's some really interesting findings around that as well. So a dog's nose is something that can be definitely used, I think, for diagnostics. Wow, I hadn't heard about the dogs detecting COVID. Yeah. Well, you, th- you know, you think about all the border controls because, you know, we, you've got dogs trained up to detect drugs and money and fruits and things like that at the border. Um, and they do that really effectively. And so... Why couldn't you extend that into, you know, diseases such as infectious diseases or cancer? As Sarah says, the sniffing powers of dogs have been used the world over. Here in New Zealand, there are also a crack squad of busy conservation dogs, some trained to look for rare species like kiwi and others trained to track down pests like stoats. These seem like big, robust scents to detect. What are the medical detection dogs picking up on? So we don't really know what the dogs are detecting. Um, so we know that there's a lot of evidence in the literature that they just can detect metabolites or obviously volatiles in a sample. And so this has been part of the work that we've been doing in terms of the way that we're setting up the testing is to look at parts of the cell and and use that to um, train the dog specifically on those cancers. And then obviously the idea would be as we move further through the process is when we know that the dogs are picking up on a scent, you know, trying to determine what is that scent, what is the thing in the sample that the dog is actually picking up that's unique to the cancer. So the dogs can help both with diagnostics on the way, but also help you in terms of research to identify something that's different about these cells that's that you right. can hone in exactly on. exactly right. That's right. And so the, the idea would be that um, we may be able to develop a laboratory-based test based on what the dogs are picking up. At the moment, it would 
couple with these existing tests. But then moving forward, you would look to see, okay, well, is this a better test? Whatever they have sniffed, is that a better way of detecting whether the cancer is there or not? That's right. So for some diseases, we have really specific tests, but for others, it's more nonspecific. And so it's just an indication that there's something that's abnormal going on in the body that would then warrant further tests. So if we can use a dog to try and help in that pipeline and to try and determine, you know, whether a person has specifically got a cancer or not, you know, then that should hopefully improve the health and well-being of New Zealanders. Internationally, people have been looking into this for prostate cancer because at the moment the key diagnostic test for prostate cancer is a blood test that looks for prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, a protein that's released when there is inflammation. And inflammation is an indication that something is wrong. So a high PSA reading is a flag to follow up on with further, possibly more invasive tests. But, says Sarah... But it's not that specific. So you can have a person that has aggressive disease that has a low PSA reading, and equally you can have a person that has more benign disease that has a higher PSA reading. So it's really what we're wanting to use with the dogs is to try to be value-add to what we have already in our diagnostic tests that are available in the laboratory and try to see where we can use the dog to allow us to have more sensitive and specific results. So there is a need here for non-invasive, more sensitive and specific diagnostic techniques. And here's something to think about. In 2015, a group from Italy published a paper on their results of testing canine detection of prostate cancer from urine. Their study included urine samples from 362 cancer patients and 540 healthy controls. And the two dogs that they used had a mean sensitivity of 99%, that is, correctly identifying those with cancer, and mean specificity of 98%, which is correctly identifying people without cancer, which are pretty good results in terms of diagnostic accuracy. And in February of this year, another study about a type of prostate cancer was published by a multidisciplinary collaboration, including a medical detection dog group in the UK. They have started investigating what Sarah was talking about, trying to figure out exactly what volatile organic compounds the dogs are sniffing out. Back at canine medical detection, the New Zealand team are finishing up that proof of concept stage, where they show that their dogs can selectively and specifically detect cancer cells at low percentages in saline solution. With some pretty amazing results. And so they're thinking about moving on to the next phase, which will involve testing the diagnostic accuracy of the dogs using urine samples from patients. They have the ability to layer scent. What that means is that you could walk into a kitchen and think a casserole smells really nice. The dog can walk in and go, those meat and potatoes and beans and onions and carrots smell nice. So they can actually split each individual odour within that one odour. Does that become very important for a case like this where you have not just the cancer cells but potentially other things that are in a sample? So when you're training, obviously you're working with kind of you know pure diluted cancer cells, but when you move on to the next stage and you have urine samples from patients, then potentially there's lots of 
contaminants in that yes. that also have their own smell. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we, uh, we train the dogs to ignore, those, all those other contaminants. And when we get those samples, we, we're saying, we don't mind whether you, um, whether you smoke or whether you've eaten asparagus or whatever, as long as we know, and the dog can actually filter out those odours because we have spent all this time training them on that particular odour that we're looking for. And you have to remember too that healthy cells produce volatiles, so that's part of our training as well. We have healthy cells and we teach the dogs we're not interested in those because they do produce an odour as well. And when you do those dilutions of cancer cells and healthy cells... What's the sensitivity that the dogs can detect? Like, how big a dilution are they still picking up those volatiles? So Levi, when he was doing his validation, went down to 5%. Since his validation, he is working at 0.3%. This means Levi can reliably detect bowel cancer cells when they only make up 0.3% of the total solution. And the good news is that just in time for Movember, Frida has also completed her validation for prostate cancer cell detection. So Frida has just finished a validation which went for five consecutive days and the biostatistician has given us the results from that and that the results were 100% success in sensitivity and 100% success in specificity. And so world leading. Wow. Go, Frida. I know. How exciting is that? Um, Unfortunately, we don't have funding to continue for prostate cancer. So both Levi and Frida have completed this proof of concept stage for bowel and prostate cancer, respectively. And Weta is hot on their paws. Next for Levi, and hopefully Weta, will be the diagnostic accuracy tests with urine samples. But first, the less flashy, but also essential side of research, paperwork in databases. Weta, we hope she will complete her validation next month for proof of concept. So then basically that's it. We can draw a line under there. We can show that the dogs are working at a very high success level. So that gives confidence to move to the next stage. In order to move to that next stage, obviously we need more ethics approval. We also need a completely new software program to be created because what happens is we have to be very conscious of patient confidentiality. So it doesn't matter where in New Zealand that sample has been given, the research nurse can log in, put in all of that information. Uh, The computer program will generate a random number so that when we get the information, we don't get the patient's name, who their doctor is. We just get a random number with the information that we need. Alongside this, Sarah says, it's important that the whole wider team work together to address all elements of the study design to ensure that they're doing good, rigorous science. We want to have a test that's highly specific and highly sensitive. So we don't want a dog to be able to alert on something that was a false positive, And equally, we don't want a dog to be able to not pick up a cancer. 
so we have to do some, you know, this is why we're, we're taking such care to do all the training with the animals and making sure that we use the right sample sizes and we're using the right controls so that we, we know that all the way along we're validating the progress of that of the dogs so that when they finish the whole process, we should have um, a, a dog that can highly, you know, that can pick out exactly that they've got a cancer or not. And I think the other good thing about what we're doing is that we have a variety of different skill sets, you know, doing this work. So obviously we've got the dogs who have the skill sets, but we also have all the academic input. So we've got biostatisticians and oncologists and immunologists and infectious disease specialists and all sorts of different expertise that can help with the development of these diagnostic tests. At Invermay, Pauline reiterates what Sarah is saying, that the goal is to add value to the existing tests and screens that are being run at the moment. The vision really is to be able to create a simple diagnostic urine test as a value-added tool for early detection of cancer. So from the very beginning, we're not wanting to replace any diagnostic tests that are currently available. It is simply to give value to it. So, for instance... With the bowel cancer, those who are on a surveillance list, we could actually help look after that. We can test regularly and someone that has been there and the dogs will alert, we can say, this person needs to go to the top of the list for the next colonoscopy. And so we can help prioritise patients. So the goal really is to help decrease the pressure that's on the health system and help increase a better patient outcome. What are the rates of bowel and prostate cancer in New Zealand? Uh, 23 people in New Zealand die every week from bowel cancer. The South has one of the highest rates of bowel cancer. Over 600 men die from prostate cancer each year. Ovarian cancer takes the life of one woman every 48 hours. That is something that we're really hoping that we can do some work next year, again, funding permitting. But with ovarian cancer, it can be any age, and often the symptoms are masked, they feel that they could be something else, and then they're diagnosed at late stage. So really, if you break it all down from those stats, every hour, one person in New Zealand dies from cancer. Back to the stars of the show, though. I asked Pauline about the different dogs they have. So we have four dogs and we have one puppy that's coming through, Ace. So we have three German Shepherds, one red retriever, uh, which is Canadian working line, and then we have a Springer Spaniel. So three different species of dogs. Are the scent-sniffing talents of dogs general or are there different species that are particularly good at it? Uh, They do vary. For instance, uh, the bloodhound comes in at number one with 300 million scent receptors. The little dachshund comes in at 125. So, (laughs) So what we do, the German Shepherd, 225. So what we do is we look for good genetic working lines. So a pet dog absolutely could recognise somebody, their owner at home, that has something that's wrong with them. 
But what we're asking of our dogs is to work in the morning and work in the afternoon and be as consistent late afternoon as they are first thing in the morning. And that requires genetic working line abilities. So that's where we start, basically. And then we go from there. So there are times that we could say, look, you know, let's have a rescue dog. But it costs us $65,000 to take an eight-week-old puppy through to commencing odour work. So we really want to try and get the best of the best for that type of investment. Again, Pauline is talking about work. These dogs are coming here to work. I still wasn't quite getting it until Pauline showed me their kennels and started talking about their home life. So the dogs actually do live at home in a family environment and then they are picked up and they come to work and then they stay here so that they are in these kennels. When you say they live at home in a family environment, do you mean in different people's homes? Yes, they do. Yes, we have some fosterers. Levi lives with me and Weta uh, lives with Courtney, but the other dogs are with fosterers. So they are just the most wonderful people because they're looking after our dogs and they also realise that they're not pets. So they're not allowed on the bed or on the furniture. They're not allowed to play with a, a tug or throw a ball for them because all of those things happen here. So we don't want to diminish the value of that particular action. So they adhere to our very strict rules and they are just wonderful. So the dogs are here in these kennels and then they either go into the training room and they work or we have somebody that comes and takes them for a walk down Mosgiel, down the streets or down goes for a swim, like you know they're at hydrotherapy this afternoon. So we always make sure that the dogs have a lovely, well-balanced life. Good work-life balance here. Absolutely, the best. So uh, what, what are their working hours? So they are collected at 8 o'clock in the morning and they come here and then they're taken home at about 4.30 in the afternoon. Standard working day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and they love it. And they're not the only ones who enjoy their work. Here's trainer Courtney again. I love what I do. <laughs> yeah, I've always got a smile. You couldn't do this role if you didn't love it. The dogs know, so you've got to have fun and, you know... It does, everything doesn't go to plan all the time, but you just roll with the punches and carry on. The proof of concept validation results have been great for Levi and Frida. And, fingers crossed, for Weta soon. Now they have their sights set on designing and running those diagnostic accuracy tests. The tricky next step. But the team, Pauline especially, is hopeful. And so far, their faith in the ability of the dog's noses has been backed up by the results. When I first created the Charitable Trust and first started Canine Medical Detection, the whole aim was to be able to give the person on the street some extra help as far as early detection is concerned. So, I mean, I didn't need to do a research paper to know how good a dog's sense of smell is. I've had 40 years working with dogs. I know how good they are. Thanks to the canine medical detection team, including Pauline Blomfields, Professor Sarah Young, Courtney Moore and Tess McKenzie. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon. Thanks to Liz Garten for her editing help. Sound engineering was by Phil Bench. Tim Watkin is executive producer. 
Do you follow the show's podcast? You can do this for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It means that new weekly episodes will download to your device and you won't miss a single one. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find it. And if you don't use Apple, just tell one friend. That helps too. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. If you're impressed by these goodest of doggos, you might want to listen to some of the episodes from our back catalogue featuring the work of conservation dogs. I'll link them under the show notes for this episode. And I'll post some pictures of Levi and Frida up there too. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. Come say hi. RNZ produces a wide range of excellent podcasts on many different topics. Click on the Podcasts and Series tab on the website to explore them all. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai to wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.